This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. This kick can sell it. That's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks on BFM with me, Cam Raslan, and our three pundits this week are, uh, he is Azran Rosen. Hi guys, how are you guys doing? Some of us are very good. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) One person who's very happy is Arvin Sidhu. Hi everyone, it's good to be here. Good to have you here. And one person who's very unhappy, I'm afraid, is Kishnan Sundaresan. Ah, it's the same story week in, week out, isn't it? Yeah. uh, Spoiler alert, in case you didn't know, Kish is a Manchester United fan. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, with that in mind, we are going to be looking today at, well, Premier League and also a bit of La Liga and Serie A and Malaysian football. But we're going to start with, for now, it is still the top story. It's a big story. But who knows? In In a week or so, these kinds of results could just be just, you know, a regular thing because it was Brentford 4, Manchester United 0. It's fair to say that Manchester United were abject, and I watched a. Well, we're not going to. We're not going to talk about them for too long. Last last week it was ten minutes, and Keishan's nodding his head thankfully there, because I watched a panel show with um, Roy Keane and Gary Neville, and they were talking about the players not turning up, lack of faith, uh, throwing the manager under the bus, and all that kind of thing. And it was like a full two minutes before I realised that that interview was from twenty nineteen. Um, <laughs> so. So really nothing's changed. But Kishnan, I would like to ask you, uh, with that performance, which we've seen time and time again, could you see a quick fix? Could you see things, daylight, something that could be done to make this uh, Manchester United team not go down to the championship? (laughs) With Ten Hag, it was always going to get worse before it gets better. We all all knew that. Um, It's part of a process of rebuilding. Um, a team that has had, you know, horrendous recruitment for the last, what, 10 years or so, you could argue. But it's it's so difficult to, to talk, talk, talk on this topic because the issues are so widespread and it's difficult to pick and choose one of it. Um, but I'm just going to choose to focus on one very um, clear thing that, that was apparent against Brentford, which is the goalkeeping situation. Um, look, David De Gea has been a wonderful servant for the club. He, he's... He will always have his name etched in the history books of the club because he's been through some of the roughest moments of the club. But And here, here's my fundamental problem uh, with Man United and Ten Hag to, to, to some extent as well. Um, if you're going to come, come into the club and you want to instill a style of play that requires the team to play out from the back, then one of the first things you needed to have done was to have moved on from De Gea. It's one of the basic things that you needed to do, to come in, to, to, to sort out the goalkeeping situation and just pick and move on. It's the same thing that Pep Guardiola did when he came to Man City and he realised that, look, Joe Hart is obviously a pretty decent goalkeeper. He was at that point, but he's not going to fit my style of play and I need a goalkeeper that's going to be comfortable at his fit. And the first thing he did coming in, did not give Joe Hart a chance, moved on. Just completely just decided to move on. And that's exactly what he's... Um, what, uh, Eric Ten Hag has not done and he needs to do it because De Gea's mistakes the other day, um, I feel I kind of feel bad for him because he's put in a situation where he's asked to do things that he's not comfortable with doing. De Gea is not a guy that builds up from the back. He's not been comfortable. He's never done that throughout his career. And all of a sudden, you can't turn him into a goalkeeper that plays out from the back. And there's a very simple reason why Luis Enrique, the Spanish national team head coach, just does not pick De Gea anymore. And it's not because he's a bad shot stopper. It's not because he's a horrendous goalkeeper. But it's just a goalkeeper with a different profile to the kind of football that Luis Enrique wants to play. And it's also pretty evident at this point that De Gea is a very different goalkeeper to the kind of football that Ten Hag wants to play. So I'm looking at the situation and asking, when are we going to bite the bullet and make that call? Because the options are simple for Ten Hag at the moment. He either moves on from De Gea and brings in a goalkeeper that can allow him to play the style of football that he wants from the back, or he sticks with De Gea and alters that that style of play. It's, it's pretty simple, and the call is with Ten Hag. But it has to be that, because there's no transfer window till 
I don't know what's happening actually with the the, the World Cup. I, th- I guess the, no, you, the you, window. No, you, you still have it until the thirty first of August. The window is still open. Oh, we still have. And, right. and you still got you know inadequacies in other positions, which I'm not going to touch on because that will take us for an entire hour to just dissect yeah, United. We're it's not going to do that. Right. Exactly. Okay, so uh, the, you heard it there from a, a very disappointed Manchester United fan, but we've been we've been hearing the same thing, Keish, for so long. And the uh, Azran, um, I want to ask you though, we've been hearing this for a long time, and should we still be talking about Manchester United as being a great club? And uh, please, I know you're a Liverpool fan. Don't bring too much of that prejudice in, because you know Liverpool were magnificent in the 1980s and essentially disappeared. Really, 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, uh, we have Arvin down there, a Leeds fan. They were magnificent in the 70s. We don't talk about Leeds going on to potentially win the Champions League or, or the league. Should we start being in a new world where Manchester United is just another club? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question to ask, uh, to answer more like it, uh, Cam. First and foremost, just a bit of a correction. I don't think we disappeared for 30 years. You know, we did win a couple of significant championships throughout the the years. We were we didn't win the league, but I know. Okay. the, the Rumbelows Cup was magnificent achievement. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did win the Champions League in zero five, by the okay, way. Okay, okay yeah. anyway, um, talking about United, you know, obviously they're a massive, massive club. As much as I would like to say they're irrelevant or in, insignificant, they are still a huge club. Yeah? Uh, but however, the challenges that they face now, I think as Keish mentioned, is goes beyond just the playing field. Really, the whole organization is in absolute shambles, something has to start. Obviously, if you listen to different experts or pundits, even Gary Neville is stating, look, let's focus first in the in the hierarchy of the club. Yeah, that has to change before we can change whatever it is down there. But again, I would like to focus perhaps a bit more on the playing staff at this point of time. As Keish mentioned, David De Gea has been quite a remarkable performer for United. Uh, with the back line that they have, he's been single-handedly saving them from Misery such as uh, what happened uh, on Saturday night. I think day in, day out, week in, week out. Unfortunately, I think um, somehow, uh, besides the fact that you know he had a couple of, because of his inability to play with the ball, uh, he he doesn't have he lacks that uh, particular capability. But the first goal was more of a massive, massive gaffe, wasn't it, Kish? It was just it just slipped between his uh, armpit and. Very rarely do we see De Gea uh, making this sort of mistakes. De Gea is an absolutely phenomenal shot stopper. So again, I think finally somehow, I'm not so sure whether it is, uh, you know, unfortunately for United, everything aligned in one particular direction, but they have absolute... Because again, talking about even their recruitment strategies this year, uh, what Ten Hag did was, first and foremost, we know that the back line of Man United is absolutely shaky uh, at best. Uh, We have a... Uh, an absolute winner in Rafael Varane, but he still doesn't play. Harry Maguire is, okay, I'd rather not say anything about Harry Maguire. I don't rate him as a defender at all. But Ten Hag went and got in Lisandro Martinez. I actually do follow a bit of Ajax myself. And personally for me, I didn't see Lisandro as the key component of Ajax defence. Ajax defence is leaky, <laughs> by the way. But even at that, he was probably arguably the weakest defender that Ajax had weakest starting defender and when Ten Hag bought him I was like a bit surprised why do you want to buy uh, he's what five foot ten and uh, perhaps maybe for his ball playing abilities but as Kish mentions again you need to change the whole a couple of key important players that United has in order for you to do that so for me back to the question I still think they are they are a big club but do I see them as a contender for top four definitely not I think at best they will be six, similar to what they did last season. And in fact, they had a chance when they ended second two seasons ago. They could have built on it. But instead, unfortunately, last year, their recruitment strategies, their policies of how they play, how the manage, manager put, put up, set up the team was also not, unfortunately, not, uh, not, not right for them. So they are where they are now. Uh, we've done a whole 10 minutes on Manchester United again, Kishnan. Damn you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Arvin, Arvin, Arvin's got one minute to, oh, to, to chime in. Uh, solve, solve the situation in Manchester United. There, there's, there's no silver bullet for this. There, there's just too much that's going on in that club that's not working. Um, but for me, a manager that comes in, you work with the resources that you have. Ten Hag has got massive amount of resources that's been given to him. He's been given backing to get players in. Some of the recruitment targets that they've been they've been linked with are quite frankly not even a top six club ranking. I don't get why they wanted 
Marko Anatovic that was thrown out very quickly. I don't get still why they want to get Adrian Rabio. He doesn't add any pace to the middle of the park. They will get exposed again. So for me, uh, and I think Kish brought up a good point, it's you cannot you cannot hang someone like David Ahia out to dry like that. He has been your guy. He's performed well enough. If you don't feel that Dahia can play out from the back right now, don't do it. Just go route one. Train him to get to where he needs to. Figure it out in a couple of windows from now. United need to stop the bleeding right now. But on the evidence of the first two games, nothing's happening. The bleeding is just getting worse right now. Yep, yep. It's, uh, it's a sad sight. And uh, but uh, but we did ten minutes on them again. So, but in a moment we're going to come back to the rest of the, the Premier League here on Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine, and we're back on Just for Kicks. And so we're going to jump straight into Chelsea two Spurs two. There were some very good matches over the weekend, and this is probably the best one. And Keish, I thought that you had two managers here who were. Look, like they were auditioning for uh, to be in a Jose Mourinho tribute band. They were trying to out Mourinho each other. It was kind of sad, but I guess football fans like that kind of thing. Questions about red cards, of course, for both of them, and goals that were allowed that maybe shouldn't have been allowed. But one thing I saw was Harry Kane can score in August. <laughs> this this was a phenomenal football game. Um, it just had everything. You, you had the drama, you had the, the goals, you had some incredible football, you had some... Fascinating footballers on display. Um, it, it, it was a, an incredible tactical battle as well because um, substitutions very clearly changed the outcome of the game as well. So it, it had everything. Um, and, and I don't want to spend way too much time talking about the game because it's one of those things that no amount of words can just justify how good of a game it was. You've just got to watch the replay or catch the highlights and you'll completely understand it. But I just want to point out um, one glaring thing, which is um, Antonio Conte. And, and I feel that he had such an important role in altering the outcome of that game. Because if you think about it, Spurs were pretty much not in the game until Antonio Conte had that first bus stop with Thomas Tuchel. And when, he, when things started to get ugly on the sidelines, you almost felt like that nastiness was being transmitted onto the pitch and the Spurs players started to have a bit more bite about their performance after that. And, I'm not, and I wouldn't be surprised if this was pre-planned. I wouldn't be surprised if this was done on purpose by Conte. He picked that fight on purpose. He, he became nasty on purpose to get a reaction out of his play. And I'll tell you why, um, Cam, because last year, there were multiple times when he started to come out in press conferences and post-match interviews and started to almost sprinkle the seeds of saying that, you know what, if the team doesn't do well, I want to leave because I'm not here to compete for top four. I'm here to compete for titles. And when you know all these rumors started coming out about you know Antonio Conte possibly wanting to go to PSG, then he had to come out and clarify and say that, hey, I just said those things to get a response out of my place. This is a smart dude. And I won't be surprised that he picked that fight with Conte, uh, with Thomas Tuchel yesterday to get a response out of his place. And to be fair, he got that response and they got the point at the end. So, uh, Azran, this is all about uh, emotion and not skill. I mean, you had some skillful players on, on pitch there. Of course, and I think there's some truth to what Kish mentioned, um, but I think it's a bit of both. Antonio Conte, we've always known he was an absolute passionate, emotional player when he was playing at Juventus. And even as a manager, he was like that in Chelsea and Inter. And even last year, as you mentioned, he did mention after that. I remember that whole um, press conference after Burnley, which he was like saying about semi like resigning. No? Yeah. But after that, he said yeah. it was all pre-planned. Yeah. I think it's a bit of both. He's passionate. He can't control his passion. He's, he's like that. But also, if he intentionally did that, it did, as Kish mentioned, revitalize the whole Spurs movement um, yesterday. Because up until then, they were not... Totally in it, if I can put it. There were some really good matches over this weekend. And so I'm going to jump, Arvin, to a match that you had, (laughs) well, you would have been watching with your heart in your mouth. Southampton 2, Leeds 2. It's been a really good start to Leeds' season. Um, uh, Bamford is back. And not that he was amongst the goals, but uh, is, uh, is this still Bielsa's Leeds? It's an evolution from Bielsa's leads to Jesse March's leads right now. I think the Premier League is proving to be a very steep learning curve for Jesse March. For the first game, he did fantastic in getting the substitutions right and we, we, we got the win against Wolves. Against Southampton, Leeds were cruising. Leeds were the better team. 
Rodrigo is a player on form. Unfortunately, Bamford picked up another injury, but there's talk that it was just precaution. So cross fingers for that. But to the point that when around the 70-minute mark, and before this game, Jesse Much had spoken about how he had been able to deal with heat waves and conditions which are very, very hot and taxing for players in the Americas when because they've got a bit of a more, the weather is a bit more extreme compared to England when it comes to, to managing heat. And on this game, you would have thought that he would have managed that situation a bit better. And he didn't because there was a point around the 70-minute mark when Southampton got their first goal. You could see the Leeds players getting very leggy. You could see the Leeds players needing support. The midfield needed revitalization and it didn't get it. He only made those subs when Leeds had gone, when, when Southampton got the second goal. So he was at 2-2. It's a great game of football. And if you ask me as a Leeds fan, before the season started, would I take four points from the first six? Definitely, yes. So it's a great start for Jesse March. But it just can't help but feel that it was two points lost Mm. rather than one point gain because that game was there for Leeds. And they've got Chelsea next, so that's going to be interesting. But yeah, I, I still am very happy with Jesse much. I just feel he could have made those changes a bit quicker in that game. So he is not in over his head. No, no, he's fairly capable of guiding this team and you will see Leeds get better throughout the season, especially when the new signings embed themselves a little bit better. It was just one of those days and all managers, Alex Ferguson got substitutions wrong. Wenger did. Everyone does. It all was right. just one that Jesse could have acted a bit quicker. That's all. Keish, bring, bring, bring him back down to earth. No, no, no. I just want to ask Arena a, a quick question. Uh, wh- wh- where do you, what do you feel about Rodrigo? Because ever since Rodrigo joined Leeds, it almost feels like yeah. the, the performances that I've seen from him in the first two games this season are probably the best that I've seen of Rodrigo yeah, in Leeds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it and almost I, feels like he's a Jesse Marsh player and not a Bielsa player at all. It is. And I think that added responsibility when Patrick Bamford gets taken off, Rodrigo gets the captain's armband, those things have revitalized him and he really feels the ownership of taking it out. And for a certain extent, he's actually come out of the shadow from Rafina because he and Rafina had a great partnership last season. So I'm very happy for Rodrigo, but just the purple patch for Rodrigo needs to extend a little bit longer, but uh, still someone that gives his heart out and... Leeds fans are happy with him, so long may that continue. Top scorer in the league right now, by the way. So, <laughs> Azran, I want to jump you over to, again, another very good, well, it was a good match. Uh, Manchester City 4, Bournemouth nil. So I think it's official now. Haaland is a flop. Uh, <laughs> he didn't score. But, but uh, I mean, come on. If he doesn't score, what's, what's the point in being there? And uh, De Bruyne, I think that guy, De Bruyne, can play football. His his goal, um, goal of the season. We're only two matches in, but I was watching it. And I was thinking, okay, pass now, pass now, pass now. Oh, he scored a goal. Uh, they're magnificent. They are. Uh, obviously, they are the favourites to win the title this year to make it three in a three in a row. So, uh, at this point of time, besides Liverpool, I think um, hopefully Chelsea and and Spurs can give it a bit of a fight to make it a four way four way battle rather than just a two horse race. Uh, but talking about um, De Bruyne. I think we can all agree he's been arguably the best midfielder and possibly best player uh, in the Premier League for the past few seasons. Um, that goal was... It's a fantastic goal. They played well. And talking about Haaland as well, uh, Cam, I do reckon that Haaland's going to get into double digits. I think he's not going to be a flop. Uh, he, he's got he's going to get at least 10. Is that, is that what you're saying? Get mo- <laughs> at least minimum 10. Minimum 10, but he's going to get more for sure. Uh, I think the fact that he's got the physique, he's got the speed and uh, in a team that creates a lot of chances, he's going to get the tap-ins that Raheem Sterling used to get once upon a time, you know, so he's going to get those tap-ins, he's going to get those uh, great shots from from the edge of the box, uh, headers, uh, he's going to get a lot of goals. Uh, I don't think, and I don't foresee him to be a, to be a flop. Uh, in fact, I see him to be one of the better strikers that we'll see this season. Uh, Keish, are we, are we seeing the return of the striker? Um, I feel like Pep, of all people, has brought back this. I know there's more to Haaland than just that just popping up. But, I mean, he was there at one point, and so, I can't remember who it was, just failed to pass the ball to him. Open goal it would have been. It's like you watch other teams. It's like, oh, if they just had a striker, if they just had somebody who was prepared to take on the ball and go, they'd do well. But it seems to be a, a dying art or something. Yeah, I think I think when it comes to Man City, um, there's going to be a period of of adjustment that's very needed because the style of football that City played prior to this did not require a striker, and even the one striker that they had 
was played almost like he wasn't a striker, Gabriel Jesus. Because you watch him, the way he plays at Arsenal at the moment, and you think to yourself, well, we never saw a lot of that at Man City. I mean, obviously, a large part of his game was developed by Pep at Man City, and, and you've got to always give him credit for that. But the way Pep uses his striker is very different. Obviously, with Haaland, he can't do that because Haaland uh, is good in certain areas and you've got to maximise him in those areas. Um, but there needs to be a period of adjustment and that was always going to be the case because what he, he he's, last weekend he scored um, a couple of goals. This week, he, he, played, he looked functional with his runs, but eight touches of the ball in 74 minutes, I think. Eight touches. That is... There is not a, a number of touches that a striker should be having, um, especially when when you're the side that's dominating possession and, and being uh, dominant on, on the ball. So, But but I agree with with, um, with Azrain. I, I don't think that there's going to be a, a, a case where Haaland struggles. I think it'll just take time to sort of build that, that understanding, but eventually he'll get there. Keish, just a question, if you don't mind. Especially for Man City, we know Pep Guardiola, I mean, he did not need have the need for a striker at Barcelona, but he did make full use of Lewandowski when he was at Bayern and again last year he wanted to get Harry Kane but he couldn't so finally they decided to get Jack Grealish and again they make use without the striker uh, Gabriel Jesus as you mentioned was predominantly used on the wings right uh, do you think it's more of a resources issue or the fact that he prefers not to have a striker what, what's your thoughts on this Kish? Ooh, this one is a, it's a tricky one to answer because if anyone has read the Athletics report of how Man City signed Haaland the vibe that I get from that article is almost as if to say that Haaland was not necessarily Pep's number one pick. It was a, a Man City hierarchy decision, which Pep obviously had to give the green light for. So it's not to say that Pep never wanted Haaland, but I, you know, I wonder if Haaland is the guy that Pep you know, just outright desperately wanted at the club. So there's question marks over that. But there's no doubt that he can make it work. Um, you, you look at Pep at, at, at Barcelona, he had Samuel Ito, he made Samuel Ito tick. David Vea, you know, of course, he was pushed out slightly to the left, but David Vea was a fundamental part of it as well. And then there's Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. There just needs to be a period of adjustment at, at Man City, and I think eventually Haaland will come good. Hey, uh, Arvin, I want to take you to another match, which was also very good. <laughs> Arsenal 4, Leicester 2. I think that perhaps Arsenal a little bit flattered by the scoreline. But um, I think, and I've always believed in the Arteta project, and <laughs> and I've I've asked producer Hanif to burn all previous tapes of uh, me mentioning him. Uh, but the project seemed to be just to get very good, very good footballers. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jesus from City, they, are, they won the transfer window. They are up there, I think, among the buys that they've got. I think they've, they've done remarkably well. And whenever it's a case of Arsenal playing Leicester this season, a couple of seasons before, it always seems to be a very helter-skelter thriller. And this was this was the case with this one as well. Some of the interplay from Arsenal was just absolutely mesmeric on the day. Leicester tried to clock down Arsenal's possession play, but they couldn't. They couldn't bypass that. And it came to a point that, the goals that Arsenal had scored, we looked at the first Gabriel Jesus goal, that chip that he did. If there's any way to score a great debut home goal, that would be it, right? And that, that, that iconic celebration, now we see so many of those photos of him holding that little telephone sign against the Arsenal fans. That's what gets you the, the fans on your side. He scores two. Gabriel Martinelli has had a great start to the season. And we know when Granit Xhaka scores, that's when you know things are going really well for you. So when you look from a perspective of recruitment, Zinchenko, Gabriel Jesus, not just being good players, but being pros that have won it. They've won the title for numerous years. They know how to get it done. Then you look at William Saliba, who comes in there and just completely revitalizes. I know he made a mistake on the day itself, but he is a very, very good defender, young player of the year in League One last season. And now they've been talking about maybe Yuri Tillemans coming next, next week if they manage to get that across the line. So they've done really, really well for themselves you would expect Arsenal to do better than they did last season. And I think it came down to what we were talking about last week. Arsenal or Spurs for that final top four spot. It's going to go right down to the wire for that one. Hey, very quickly, Keish, uh, goalkeepers. You were talking about De Gea earlier. Leicester have lost Schmeichel. He just, he just left. Uh, it, it looked like if you lose faith in your goalkeeper, I think everything just falls apart. How can you possibly build from there? And they have a new goalkeeper 
I, I don't know how Leicester going to improve. Yeah, I, I think with Casper Schmeichel, it wasn't just the fact that um, he was a great goalkeeper, but he's also such a, a major presence within the team in terms of um, in terms of character because he was such an important leader at the back, right? Um, so uh, losing him was a big blow. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure how they're going to replace him because Leicester are a side that definitely like and transfer funds and they need to get some players out of the line before they can bring in more character. Brendan Rodgers has made that very clear. I'm not the biggest fan of Danny Ward. I don't think he's as imposing as Casper Schmeichel. I don't think he's got the leadership quality at the back like Casper Schmeichel. So if I was Rodgers, I'd be looking at a new goalkeeper as well. But but hey, they've got pressing concerns in other positions too. It's going to be a tricky season for Leicester. It's, it's really going to be a tricky one. In a moment, though, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the Premier League here on Just for Kicks on BFM eighty nine point nine, and we're back with myself, Cam Rastan, Kishnan Sundaresan, Azran Rosan, and Arvin Sidhu. And now, Azran, um, uh, something was answered, kind of for me, with the Everton two, uh, sorry, <laughs> Aston Villa two, Everton one. Uh, it's a conundrum from uh, the two thousand and tens of Gerrard and Lampard, and I was always. A Gerard man. Uh, I always thought that Lampard was overrated. Ooh. But Everton were just abject, I thought. Uh, but I'm not really sure that I understand who or what Aston Villa are. But, I mean, is Gerard doing something correct there? <laughs> it's a decent time to be a Liverpool fan, isn't it? I mean, both Everton and United are on zero points at this point of time and playing really ridiculous football. Uh, but having said that, talking about the two managers... Um, I, I agree with you, of course, Cam. Uh, Gerard was the better player, and appear, it appears that he's the better manager as well. Uh, he's done well in Rangers, and now I think he's done a decent job at Villa. Uh, we have to remember when he took the job at Villa, uh, Villa were probably facing or, or fighting against relegation, and I think last year they finished the season pretty pretty well. In fact, they could have done as a big solid if they could have hold on held on to that two goals lead. Okay, let's that's the pass now. So uh, talking about which, I think. Um, with the resources at his disposal, uh, I think Gerard has done well. Uh, he's got a number of decent players. Obviously, unfortunately for him, uh, the former colleague uh, that he brought over, uh, Philip Coutinho, hasn't done well. In fact, he had an absolutely horrible game uh, the other day. I think similar to Haaland, he had only a few touches. He lost the ball a lot of times and he was substituted even before the 60th minute mark. Um, but yeah, they, they, I, they fully deserved their three points against Everton. Everton did, in the last, what, 15 minutes, have a bit of a fight back. But uh, yeah, nothing, nothing really uh, troubling uh, Aston Villa. Yeah, because, uh, Keish, if you, lo- if you lose Richarlison, and he's been the, the, the creative heart of Everton, such as it's been for the last few seasons, uh, there just seems to be an absence of any kind of ideas in, uh, there. Look, I'm, I'm not a very big fan of, of Frank Lampard as a manager. Um, I've always felt that um, Everton needed better managers than him to sort out the situation at the club. Uh, but look, this problem isn't just a Lampard problem at the moment. Because on one hand, whilst I don't think he's a great manager, on the other hand, you, this is a situation where um, the board have spent almost $500 million in the last few years. And you look at the squad that they put out against Villa, you look at that bench and you, you ask yourself, after spending 500 million, is this all they've got? Like, really, is this all they've got? Like, there's no options up front. There's no one. To, I don't know where the goals are going to come from. Um, if you're going to put all your eggs in the Dominic Calvert-Lewin basket, I'm not sure if there's a great thing to do because Calvert-Lewin in the last couple of seasons has had um, injury concerns every now and then. And when he's out injured, you've really just not got anyone up front. I mean, I think that's a, a pressing concern for Lampard. Obviously, they, they've got in a couple of players. I think um, Amadou Onana will add a bit more steel in the middle of the park. I kind of like Iwobi in the middle of the park because he started out his career at Arsenal actually as a midfielder before eventually being pushed out wide. So I think he looks very dynamic at the heart of that midfield. Um, Connor Cody, James Tarkowski, experienced pros, will add a bit of steel to the back. But it's still not a great Everton squad. And I don't know where the creativity, I don't know where the goals are going to come from. And now even uh, Anthony Gordon is being linked with a transfer to Chelsea. Um, there's probably going to be an impending bid coming from the Blues as well. So it's, 
I mean, it's nothing is convincing at the moment. The manager isn't convincing. The squad definitely is not convincing. Uh, relegation. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing you say. I, I, I don't want to cast any judgments yet, but yeah, I won't be surprised though. Wow. If another battle. Uh, I mean, Lampard alluded to it in, in pre-season. He says that if we keep playing this way, we, we might have another relegation battle on our cards. Uh, Arvin, I uh, I want to challenge you to talk about a nil-nil match. Brighton nil, Newcastle nil. Two teams which are on the up uh, compared to Everton anyway. I thought it was really a fascinating match. I was looking forward to this match so much because these are two teams which I think will be vying for the traditional Everton spot. They're like a number seven kind of thing. Well managed, uh, well organized. And it was a good match. Brighton showed they cannot score goals. Uh, but but it was it was good. What what did we what were we learning? It's it's two teams with good young managers who've got a clear identity in the way that they play. And every week, Brighton and Newcastle are teams that you want to see because you can see progress from week on week on. On evidence of the day itself, Brighton should have gotten all three points. But like you said, they couldn't find their way through. Uh, Nick Pope had, had an excellent game in in goal for Newcastle. He's kind of cemented himself as the Newcastle goalkeeper now. But the one really interesting thing about Brighton now, and I don't get this, unless obviously August 31st is still about two weeks away, they're selling Neil Maupay to Nottingham Forest. Now, Neil Maupay is not the most prolific of goal scorers, but whenever you think of Brighton and you think of goals, you think of Neil Maupay. Obviously, Sally March will, will, will contribute. Pascal Gross will always score against Man United, but you will have those players that contribute the goals. So I don't get that Neil Maupay move to, to Nottingham Forest unless... Grand Potter might have someone in his in that he's keeping in his back pocket that he's going to bring out of, but other than that, I just I just enjoy watching these two teams play week on week out. Newcastle for what what they did on the day, I thought Kieran Drippier was was great again. Really tidy display from the keeper, some crucial clearance off the line as well by millimeters. Brighton Solly March did really well. Moises Caicedo was nominated man of the match again. So every week we will want to see how these teams progress. Brighton. Don't have the most resources, but they they get great get great get gems over the years. We've seen that Newcastle with all the resources in the world, but are being very prudent and sensible in their signings. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing the progress of these two teams. Wow, Newcastle prudent and sensible. Um, Spurs with a backbone and steel in them. These this is what world are we living in now? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Kishnan, um, we were watching the two contenders there for manager for Manchester United, the next manager of Manchester United. I don't know which one you want, but again, this was, this was a scenario where natural goal scorers would enhance teams tremendously. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I'm actually going to disagree with Arvin and say that I think Brighton letting go of Neil Maupay is excellent business. And the fact that they're letting him go for 15 million is great because they need to move on from him. He's not the striker that is going to help them get goals in the Premier League. He's been given chances last couple of seasons. He's always underperformed his XG, which means that he's just naturally not an elite level finisher. Uh, I'm actually surprised, to be fair, that Forrest want to spend that money on him. Forrest want to buy everyone, it seems. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just ridiculous at the moment. I mean, I admire a lot of their recruitment, but not the one to get Neil Mope. Um but, but to be fair, Brighton have got a, a young striker on their books, uh, Dennis Undaf, who they signed from... Uh, from a Belgian club, Union SG, last January, I think, and then they sent him back on loan to the club. So he made his first appearance um, against Man United, came on as a late sub. I think he's the one that they're trying to build on um, to give him slow, to in reintegrate him into the team slowly. Whether or not he can be that consistent goal scorer in the Premier League, I'm not sure, because in the Belgian league, he was scoring goals for fun. I think like 35 goals and like 51 games for Union SG. So he's... He's a prolific goal scorer in Belgium, but it's a whole different ball game when you're trying to do that in the Premier League. On top of that, they've got Danny Welbeck. But I've got no doubt, I've got no doubt, if they do let Mopé go, I won't be surprised that between now and 31st of August, they do go in the market for you know, someone else just to have three strikers on board. But where are where are these strikers? Are they in Italy? Are they in France? Are they, are they, are they in England? Where I mean, there's a lot of them. I, mean, I, I wouldn't go for someone in England because, you know, you, you've got the overpriced English players, you, you could, with the same fee, you could get someone who's probably better if you go to Ligue 1, if you go to Serie A, you go to, the, to La Liga and you, you pluck someone out of there. 
um, and that that would probably give you a bit more strength. But um, and, and and I trust Brighton to be able to do that. Their recruitment has been fantastic, from Moises Casido to Solly March. Um, it's it's exceptional recruitment. Uh, they've got a real good structure there, and I have no doubt that um, Brighton will be able to find the right striker. But they need one. They really, really, really need one this season. Mm. I mean, Liga must be just emptied out by now. It must be just a desert. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, Azran, another match which was really good was and very unlikely ending. Nottingham Forest won West Ham nil. Nottingham Forest managed to score the luckiest goal I have ever seen. It was a miss hit, and then it bounced off a player's knee, and they're, well, they're one nil up. And then West Ham, twice off the line, they were denied a really poor penalty by Declan Rice. Um, but West Ham looked good, and in, it's kind of the opposite situation with Leeds, where they don't have the points, but they're looking good. Um, they'll do okay, won't they? I think so. Uh, I, I, as you mentioned just now, Cam, you know, the seventh spot, the traditional Everton spot during Moises' time, I think West Ham did that last year, and I still see them being there or thereabouts this season. Uh, yesterday, they were really, really, really unlucky not to get at least a point. You mentioned lots of chances, a poor, poor penalty, and they absolutely was really assaulting for the last 20 minutes it was just them it was just one way traffic against against um forest and you know linking to what arvin and kish mentioned about maupe i do not know i do not see how maupe will add value to the forest uh, front line at least with the young striker awoni he's obviously unproven but um at, at Premier League level, but he's done pretty well for himself in the Bundesliga. So um, let's see. I mean, rather than, I, I would personally I would rather test him or even Sam Saric, uh, a player that have done well for Forest with the system that they have in the Championship, no doubt about it. Rather than taking an Mope, who's I think as Kish mentioned, I I, I echo what Kish mentions. Uh, I don't see Mope as an elite Premier League level striker. He's probably a squad player at best. So. Uh, back to yesterday's game, I, again, it's a it's a blip for West Ham, no doubt about it. But you know how it goes against playing against promoted teams This at the start of the season. They're always very, very energetic, full of spirits and hopes. I mean, Liverpool had one done against them, against Fulham, uh, last week when Fulham really, really, really played well and earned their point. So, again, good good three points for Forrest and uh, unlucky for West Ham, but I'm sure they will still continue and get and fight for that seventh, eighth position at the end of the season. Uh, Arvin, I mean, Nottingham Forest, 16 new players? Is it 16? Yeah. Uh, that just sounds kind of, uh, that never works. Well, Fulham did it and didn't work for them. No, it's crazy. I mean, when I think about some of the, the buys that they've, they've made and they continuously be, be linked with, I mean, they, they're linked with Czech Kuyate, who is expected to come in from Palace. Remo Fruller has come in from Atlanta. They're even talking about Hossam Aor from, from Lyon. That's just... I mean, the degree to, that shows the financial strength that the Premier League has when a player who is in Lyon, who has an opportunity to play in the Champions League, is coming to a club who's been promoted to the Premier League. That just shows that the level that the Premier League is operating in right now. But if there's anyone, anyone who can bet all these signings together is the manager at Forest. I think Cooper is an excellent, resourceful manager. He will know how to bet them in. And it was just one of those days. It was a really fun game last night watching it at, at, at the City Crown. It's one of those days that when the sun is shining on you, everything works out well. You wait 23 years for your first Premier League goal. It doesn't matter how it goes in, but it just should go in, right? And so it was a very nice story on one hand that you felt that Nottingham Forest have, have arrived. It's good that they've got their first three points. But like David Moyes said, what a rotten, rotten goal to concede because that was just absolutely horrible. But happy for Forrest. I just, I, I don't know if they will survive based on the strength of the team. But yeah, let's see. Yeah, because Keish, you can't get that kind of luck every week. I mean, no, 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 nobody does. They're, they're, I don't think Forrest are looking safe at all. No, but, but they have no choice. And, and that's my point. Um, you, you go back to Fulham a few years ago. So what choice did they have? A large part of that squad that was played, that, that got them the promotion under Jokanovic in, in the championship were players that were on loan or were players that on short-term contracts that were let go eventually. So they had no choice but to rebuild the team. We're not talking about a team that has on purpose forced 16 players out and is bringing in 16 fresh players. In the case of Forrest, 
it's just a squad that needed numbers because a lot of these guys have left. From Jet Spence, who was on loan last year, he has gone. James Garner is back to Man United. So you, you've got to revitalize the team and at the same time, bring in fresh faces to cope with the Premier League challenge. And I, the only difference is, when I look at that Fulham recruitment two, three years ago under Jokanovic, I didn't think any of it made sense. A lot of it was just, you know, a knee-jerk reactions, plays that were bought based on reputations. But you look at the recruitment that's being done by Forrest, maybe put Neil Mopé out of the picture, maybe put Koyate out of the picture. I'm not a fan of these two guys. But everyone else that Forrest have brought in have been real astute signings. Um, from Remo Froehler, who's Atalanta's captain in Serie A, has joined Forrest, who will be a massive presence. And you've got uh, Hassam Awa, who's potentially going to join from Lyon. Great strikers, a great uh, midfielder as well. And then Taiwo Awoni, one of the best strikers in the Bundesliga with Union Berlin. And then you've got the defender that limped off injured yesterday. I can't seem to recall his name. Um, I can't remember him, but they signed him from Mainz in the Bundesliga. And he's, he was brilliant for Mainz in the Bundesliga last year. So a lot of this recruitment seems to make a lot more sense. And that's probably the only reason why I feel Forrest will be in a much better position than Fulham a couple of years ago. Well, Kishnan cannot remember a player from Mainz. He he is human. <laughs> we call it. I I feel somehow strangely vindicated. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> in a moment, though, we're going to wrap up the one final game that. Well, there was another game which we're not going to talk about. Uh, looking forward to uh, one final game, Premier League, and then some Serie A and uh, La Liga and Malaysian football here on Just for Kicks. BFM 89.9. And welcome back to part four of Just for Kicks. And we're going to go around the world here. Azran, I want to start with you. There's a match coming up today with uh, Crystal Palace and Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool really need to get some, some a bit more emphatic, uh, some points. They need to prove themselves that the season has begun, do they not? Well, we've played two well, so one semi-competitive game in the uh, Charity Shield and one actual Premier League game. I think we've done pretty okay. Uh, as I mentioned just now, Fulham did truly deserve their point. Playing a promoted team start this season, especially away, especially at their home ground, is always, always going to be very difficult. Unfortunately for us, we couldn't uh, get the three points, even though Jordan Henderson nearly stole it at the end. But okay, we, to, having to be truth be told, a point was probably the fairest for them lot. So back to Liverpool, I think um, we will have to get started. Uh, playing at home gives us that the advantage, obviously. Uh, we've played Palace in pre-season and I think we were we were all over them. So I expect nothing less than three points tonight. Well, I've, I, I didn't say to you, producer Hanif is supposed to connect you to a car battery. And every time you say we... When talking about your your team, it's an electric shock, and so uh, you, you let off this week. But next time, I'm afraid it's going to be very painful. It's a family. It's a family. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. No excuse. Um, okay. Well, I, I, three points there. Hands up. Anybody going to dispute three points? Arvin Kish. I I don't think it's going to be as easy. No, uh, I, I think Palace did really really well against Arsenal last time out. Um, they, they probably deserve something out of that game, too. I'm a big fan of Eberechi Edze. I've got him in my fantasy team as well, so I'm expecting him to, to do something tonight against, against Liverpool. But I, 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 I'm not saying that they can't win. They might probably win, but it just won't be an easy game. Nothing is ever easy against Palace. Arvin, would you agree with that? Agree. But I just think that the honours is on Liverpool after they've seen City win the, two, the games that they have. It's very early in the season, but the last thing that they want to do is drop some points. So I think with that, They'll get, they'll get through the line and they'll get the three points. Okay, we're going to jump across in the wide world of football to Italy now. And I want to ask Kish what we should be uh, looking out for this season in Serie A. Uh, AC Milan seem to be doing quite well. And uh, are any of these also going to be challenging in the Champions League? Are they, are they, have they really stepped up and become good again? <laughs> it is. Uh, sorry, AC Milan had a real good watch. Um Again, you go back to a club that was mismanaged for years in terms of recruitment. Um, reminds you of how Man United are being mismanaged at the moment. Uh, but but they've gone back to the basics. They've not gone for big names. They've signed players that fit the profile of the club with what that mission is in that specific season. And they've grown slowly every season, which eventually led them to the title last year. And even after winning the title, they've not gone out and just splashed the cash like nobody's business. They've been very sensible, and I like the the guy that they've brought in in the middle of the park, uh, Charles De Catalare from from Club Rouge, and he he's he's going to add so much quality. You've got Theo Hernandez 
already there. Ante Rebic got a couple of goals over the weekend, so he's he's going to be a, a great watch this season. But my pick for the team to watch in Serie A this year has got to be AS Roma. Uh, with uh, Wijnaldum coming in, with uh, Paolo Dybala coming in, with Nemanja Matic over there, Zakir Selic has been brought in from Lille. Spinazzola, who was in, unavailable last year after that injury he picked up at the Euros, he almost feels like a new signing for Jose. This is the Jose Mourinho side that is going to grow so much more than last year and the team is just so much more um, in, uh, stacked with quality compared to last year. And I expect them to completely break into the top four this year and possibly even cause some problems for the big boys. I'll be keeping a close eye on, on AS Roma. Oh, please don't tell me that Jose Mourinho is going to do it again. I, look, I, I look, can't I've, I've, always it. Been, I've always <laughs> been the biggest skeptic. I've, I've never liked Jose oh. Mourinho as a manager post uh, Chelsea, his last stint. When he came to United, I've always felt that he was slightly outdated. But what his thing at Roma would tell you at the moment is he almost feels like he has changed his approach a bit. He's a lot more calm. He's a lot more measured. He's not. He's trusting his lieutenants um, um, to, to help him out with certain calls. And he just seems to be like a more matured version of a Jose Mourinho at the moment. And that's helping AS Roma. Again, if I can add on, I think Milan's recruitment strategy, it started off with the wrong hiring of managers. Yeah. I think Milan went on hiring former players before they were ready, Inzaghi, Seidorf, Brocchi. Finally, when they appointed Stefano Pioli, everyone was like, it was a big question mark who Pioli was and whether he was good enough to manage Milan. But as uh, Kish mentioned, he did the right strategy, the right way, the right philosophy of how Milan should play. And I mean, they won the title of the so long last season and uh, they still continue to play well. Uh, another good young player is uh, Sandro Tonali, Kish. Mm, yes. Absolutely amazing in the middle of the park. Mm, okay. Well, that's Italy. Uh, we will return at some future day, I'm sure, because uh, Arvin, um, Spain, La Liga. I, I saw... Um, that uh, Real Madrid getting very excited about a comeback against the multi, uh, sorry, the mighty Almera. <laughs> um, one, Real Madrid, are they shoe-ins for the title? And two, how come Barcelona is able to afford to buy players? But the Barcelona buying players probably doesn't belong on Just for Kicks. It's probably on an episode of X-Files. And, and, and you will need an entire two-hour episode for that. Exactly. But just, just, to, just to summarize, what they've done is that now they've started a trend of what we call economic levers of being able to sell your assets to kind of bring in income to the club. So what they've done is they've raised funds by selling their TV rights, their, their licensing arm, and they've activated these, these numerous economic levers to be able to help them not straight away get money right in, but to be able to negotiate the salary cap to register players that they have bought in. So it's it's a, it's a risky move. It's profitable, but it's it's risky for your future because one part is they, what Laporta is hoping is that bigger players, more excitement, more revenue. And you saw that in their first game against Raya Vallecano because they had the most tickets sold for Camp Nou for a couple of years. I think they bought in about 3 million for that. But when I look at it, this, it, it doesn't seem to be stopping. Now, obviously, Marcos Alonso will probably come on a free. And then there's a lot of talk that they want to even bring in Bernardo Silva into that squad. That What, what you're looking at is about eight to 10 first teamers. You have a situation where you need to actually get a couple of other players who obviously are kind of being a bit stubborn in their head and saying, we don't want to move because we want what's the money owed to us, the likes of Frankie De Jong, Martin Braithwaite, they don't want to move. So what happens if you are not successful in moving those assets away? So Barcelona have, have created the story of the transfer window. I'm very keen to see from coming windows whether other clubs do this economic labor strategy of selling certain parts of your club to be able to sign players. But when you look at a layman's term of a fan like us, we think to ourselves, you're bringing in players but you're not paying off the current players that you have. What's that doing to the morale of that squad? And, and they didn't get off to the best of start by, by drawing because everyone expected us to come out with a bang. They didn't. They were quite passive that day. Madrid, on the other hand, do what Madrid do. They just grind out victories. That's what they did last season. They did it in the final, the Champions League against Liverpool. They just know how to do it. And when you think about it, it's Rudiger, it's Arjen Chumani. That's it. Two players. But they expect that that sensibility and calmness to bring them to where they need to. And I think they'll do it because Carlo Ancelotti has come out and said that this is probably his last season or this will be his final club. The players would want to do it for a real players manager, which is Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, re remind me, has 
Ancelotti being one of Manchester United's managers yet? No. No, he didn't. Yeah. So they're missing. They're missing one. They put put. They could have him as a trophy. Sam I think Allardyce. he's. I think he's the best. Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce. Yeah. Need to get <laughs> okay. So uh, we're going to uh, round off with uh, Kish with Malaysian football and things have been happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, KL City um, last week got an incredible, um, incredibly emotional victory over Vietel FC in the semifinals of the AFC Cup zonal uh, stage. Um, I think they, they it, it ended nil-nil and they won the... the the penalty shootout to put themselves into the final. Um, sadly, though, a day prior to that, Kedah lost to PSM Makassar. If not, we could have seen an all-Malaysian AFC Cup zonal final, but we don't get that. Instead, what we get is a repeat of the group stage fixture between PSM Makassar and uh, KL City as well, which, by the way, in the group stages ended nil-nil. Um, and this final is set to take place, if I'm not mistaken, on the 24th of August, um, and, and it's, it's going to be electric. And it means a lot to KL because a few years ago, this was a team that was struggling for, for its health. It was languishing in the second division. Um, it barely had money to pay you know, players' salaries. Obviously, with Malaysian football, nothing is ever certain. Nothing is ever long-term sometimes. But in the current moment, um, you, you, you can't blame KL fans for just being absolutely um, elated because they, they now find themselves um, not just being reigning Malaysia Cup champions, something they won at the end of last year, but they also find themselves in the final of a continental tournament, uh, AFC Cup Zonal. And the best part, if they win the Zonal Finals, they will then go and compete um, in the ultimate AFC Cup Final with the winners of the West Asian Zone as well. And so there's a lot to be excited about. But obviously, everything starts with that Zonal Final against PSM Makassar, which, by the way, won't be easy. Um, it's also KL coach Boyan Hodak's ex-club. So there's a lot to look forward to, um, including... Briefly, I'm going to mention, I'm sure you all will talk about this on the Friday show. This Friday night, Johor Darul Takzim versus Nagoya Grampus. Arsene Wenger's former, sorry, not Nagoya Grampus, Urawa Reds. Urawa Reds Diamonds uh, in the Champions League um, round of 16 for Asia. And JDT are playing um, against them this Friday. Oh. Uh, Asran, I know you're very happy. You're very of happy, course. but, but yeah. we, have to, we have to wrap up now. Uh, but yeah, KL City, uh, Asran's team is very excited about that one. So uh, we have to wrap up. And uh, well, thank you, guys. I'd like to thank uh, Asran. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And Kish, Kishnan, thank you. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the week. Hopefully, hopefully you know, we'll catch you in a happier <laughs> frame. <laughs> Maybe you get it's a point or something. Who knows? It, well, it's going to be months. It's going to be months. It, it could bounce off Ratch, Rashford's knee. Uh, who knows? Um, and Arvind Sidhu, who is a happy man. Uh, great to see you. Thanks, everyone. It's good to be here, as always. Thank you. And uh, myself, Cam Rustland, and see you on Friday for another uh, edition of Just the Kicks on BFM 89.9.